Welcome to Movie Time Machine, where each episode we take a movie from the past and we're living in the present. This week's movie, Goodfellas, released in 1990, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro. I'm your Time Machine host, Chad, surrounded by my Time Machine friends, Chris and Jamie. How are you guys doing tonight? Not Italian, but I'm still here anyway. <laughs> doing great. Thank you. Go get your shine box. As we begin this conversation, Chad, yeah. just tell me about your thoughts. Like, best to worst Scorsese movies. Just Mainly just talk to me about The Departed. Yeah, start there. Uh, the Departed, uh, Not I don't think that's a great movie. Uh, great cast. Uh, everyone's trying to act out to each other. Uh, Goodfellas probably is best, my favorite. Casino is probably number two. Um, what about The Wolf of Wall Street? How do you feel about that one? That's an awesome movie. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Shutter Island, I thought, was. I like good Shutter Island. Yeah. yeah. Um, Gangs of New York. I haven't. That's, see, I love Gangs of New York. I want to see that movie. I, I not like seen Gangs of New York a lot. Daniel Day Lewis. He kills it in that movie. It's a great. I love Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, he really does. Mm hmm. That might be Cameron Diaz's finest hour too, if I remember right. I she's really good in the mask, but she's in gangs. Yeah, she's in gangs. Oh, did not know that. All right. So, what about you? Like my favorite top three. Uh, I would go. I love The Departed. I absolutely love The Departed. So where's Goodfellas fall? Um. <clears throat> All right, walk me through. So what is what is CL done? You Let's said casino. See. Casino. Oh, no, I would probably go, for me, it would be Departed, Wolf of Wall Street, and then uh, Gangs of New York. Goodfellas, like, I like Goodfellas, but it didn't make the top three for me. No. No. Wow. What about you, Jamie? Uh, let's see here. I watched... Probably fewer Scorsese films than I care to admit, but um, off the top of my head, The Departed's my favorite. Then it would be Goodfellas, and it's probably a toss-up between um, Gangs and yeah, no, it's probably Gangs. I my hot take is that I'm not super hot on Taxi Driver. I I got to revisit it. I think I might have been too young when I saw that one because. I don't know. It's hailed as his masterpiece, and just uh, it didn't really land for me. I saw I don't, tech. Oh, yeah, on. I. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've watched that maybe when I was in my early twenties, and I did not really. I tr tried to watch that multiple times, and it just did not land with me. I saw Taxi Driver around the same time that I saw De Niro in uh, what is it, The Bull. The Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Raging Bull, and I could not do Raging Bull, but I like Taxi Driver a lot. I thought it was a very unique take, and yeah, I enjoyed him a lot in that. Yeah, I like that. I like that character in that movie. Mm -hmm. I just think that movie just that movie feels like a really long movie. Yeah, it does. I and hey, Travis Bickley's a good character, but he's not a fun hang. So that <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. good and bad in that way. For me, I think, guess. I also watched that around the same time that I watched like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I just feel like that was so memorable for me. Like, that stole the show. Yeah, Cuckoo's Nest that trumps almost all. Yeah. Up there with one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. it was just, it was incredible. That was a wonderful, wonderful movie. And I, they were, like, it's just, they're both very good movies, but that, for me, just stole the show. 
Yeah, I I really need. To, has anyone seen Silence 2016 with Adam Driver and um, what's his name, Spider Man Two, Andrew Garfield? No, no. Oh, I got to see that. That's kind of right in my wheelhouse. It's two Jesuit priests who are going to find their teacher in Imperial Japan. I just a lot of Catholic implications in there for me that I, um, as an ex-Catholic, I but I'm still fascinated by the church. So particularly Jesuits. That's yeah, it's kind of a me thing. I gotta I gotta see that movie. Oh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, the the pageantry and the the tradition behind that kind of stuff is really fascinating. Oh yeah. All right, so a few episodes ago, I said um, one of the next couple episodes, let's pick one of our favorite movies, um, and now it's my turn uh, for this episode. So I chose the movie Goodfellas, and the reason why I chose this movie, I think I was really thinking about this a lot, and like why this movie has resonated with me, and I think maybe like the timing of when I saw it, like I saw it right, probably not too long after home video release because i caught it on hbo and it wasn't like a movie that was like i was anxious to watch it was kind of one of those things like on a whim like it just came up like a hbo promo like this is going to be on so like boom put a blank tape in the the vcr and like set it to record and i something just about the story just kind of grabbed me and like blew me away it might have been like again like the timing like i'm just like just moved back to Minnesota from home. I was like probably what, 12 years old. Um, I think maybe that had a lot to do with it. Um, kind of like maybe losing like a father there. And like, so it was kind of like a dark time for me. And I think this movie kind of like plays into that. It's really like kind of dark themed and, but just kind of like the, the realistic reality of it too. Like thinking it's not glamorized. It's, it's, well, I guess it is glamorized to a certain degree, but it's also honest. And um, when you come back down to earth from that criminal yeah. lifestyle, you come yeah. crashing hard. Yeah. But actually, earlier when we were talking about like movies and feelings, I think just this movie, like once I get finally get to the end, like the emotion and like the feeling that I remember having after this was like, I need to go back and watch this again. Like this was like a wild ride and like turbulence and like everything and like just like the rise and fall of this character and like everyone around him, you know? Um, so that's pretty much why I, ch I chose this movie. Yeah. I think like we were talking about earlier, the, the idea that like f some of our favorite movies like elicit these emotions that just mm -hmm. don't make sense or that make sense. And it's just, it's, it's very powerful. And I think we were talking about like almost famous or for me, that might be gladiator or, um, whatever that movie might be, but like there are, there are movies and I think it's similar to music or, or whatever you, you subscribe to that, that do something similar. And it sounds like this is one of those movies that just what in whatever way they elicit a feeling, uh, good, better and different, but they elicit a, a feeling of, of whatever within you. And I think like any movie that can do that for someone that's powerful, that's huge. Probably my most memorable scene, my favorite scene in this movie is the Lufthansa heist. It's like the largest heist in in U.S. history mm -hmm. at the JFK airport. And uh, they find out that 
stacks afterwards. He like got high and overslept somewhere and like left his truck parked somewhere. Then like the cops found it and then like they found the prints on the truck and like they knew eventually they're going to get the stacks. So like then uh, they whack stacks. Then um, we get to the scene where it's like the kids playing stick Paul and like the parking lot. Then they're walking up on the pink Cadillac. Then, like, you get, like, the piano breakdown from Layla just kind of punches in. And it's just, like, the slow kind of camera zoom up to the car. And then it kind of goes along the side of the car. And you see that the the two dead bodies in there. And, like, just, like, it gives me goosebumps every time when this yeah. whole, like, scene and this whole montage starts. And this kind of it follows you through to, like, you know, like, the, the guy hanging in, like, the meat locker mm-hmm. on the truck trailer. Um, the guy finding the guys in like the the garbage truck and I think like one of the things that make that so pow- yeah. powerful though is like right before they show the the kids with like the hockey stick and whatnot and the yeah. hockey ball is like like the scene where they're at the the restaurant or the bar and he's like it's Robert De Niro's character who's saying like you can't be flashy and like the the guy and his wife pull up with like the pink Cadillac and he's like no 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 it's cool because I put it in my mom's name right or it's the the other guy who's found in like the um in the meat locker he and his wife and like his wife is coming in with like this fur coat and again yeah. Robert De Niro's character is like what are you doing you can't right. be flashy and I feel like like part of like what makes those couple of scenes is this idea that like there's been this this setup of like there is a behavior and a strong set of behavior that is like right and wrong and people aren't adhering to what has been set out and so i feel like you see these deaths you see these these things playing out that like are based on robert de niro's understanding as imperfect it's not right they're being flashy and like that's what's leading to these deaths and i i absolutely in my opinion, I think that's like what makes that for me. Yeah, and that whole montage though, it it it, it goes all the way through and it ends with like even like Tommy's the, getting made. That's yeah. that it, that montage lasts all the way through the moment where like Tommy's going to get made. The car pulls down to like the garage and up to the scene where like he walks into that room and he has that moment of like, no, like he knows oh, he's done, and he gets whacked and. I guess I actually I guess the music ends like right then after that it's uh, Jimmy Conway getting the call that mm-hmm. um, I think you want to talk about had questions about how De Niro's character is emoting after getting the call that Tommy's yeah you know doing. I struggled with that like I I think about my experiences with kind of this kind of like mob or gangster stylistic movies and and I think of that like I grew up watching like sopranos like the the sopranos is what i what i watched or or those kind of things and and for me seeing de niro's character like cry after that call to me was really unique i appreciate the idea of like a gangster having that vulnerability i think of tony soprano having that vulnerability with his um with his wife or or maybe even like you know daughter meadow or or whomever or i i see his character having that with his psychologist or therapist but for me the emotion from De Niro's character 
straight out of like that phone call to me where he cries and he's crying in front of, you know, Ray Liotta. He's crying in a public space. Like to me, like that just felt disingenuous in a way that like, I don't think that character would, would have those emotions in that space. I believe that he feels sad. It's evident in, in Scorsese does a great job of, of making me believe that like he's very invested in this and like the idea that like we're going to we're going to have a made man in our team that like makes us made men but i feel like that emotion that that crying that vulnerability wouldn't happen there in the moment directly after that phone call in the parking lot i feel like that would happen later on and that to me became that like was difficult for me that created disbelief and I kind of had a perfect marriage reaction to both of your responses because what didn't occur to me until this rewatch is that um, the whole time, I mean, Tommy DeVito is one of the most iconic film characters ever because he's such a loose cannon. And I really enjoy the scene where we first meet him and everyone's laughing at his jokes and you don't realize why, but it's because he's insane and no one wants to mm-hmm. piss him off. And so you think he's really really dangerous which he is but that scene um highlights that in fact jimmy's kind of the real monster because while tommy is so outwardly off kilter jimmy is mr cool and mr composed and you know it's not until then that you realize just what he's capable of for taking out his entire crew after they pulled off you know one of the greatest heists ever and you know it's it just shows that he'll stop at nothing to keep what's his and you know keep his nose clean and so i guess i chris i kind of agree with you too that that breakdown i i don't know i i struggle with it too because you know jimmy is mr snake in the grass and you don't realize it until it's too late Mm -hmm. but i think like he struggled with like those decisions too right like i mean i guess i i look at it and i think he struggles but i also think like the when he was telling Ray like we're gonna like we're gonna call it off, like I think he had a hit on Maury. Oh, Maury. Maury, yeah, yeah. He like the hit on Maury, like like Ray was struggling with that and I think like he was able to recognize that and he was like, No, 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 we're gonna call it off and then, then he had others do it. Like I think he has enough know how and 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 knowledge to be able to, to recognize that in and to your point, the snake in the grass comment, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like there would be, there'd be greater distance. And I recognize again, that this is one of his friends, but I also think like this whole, like in this arena, in these areas, like it is a lot of like image. It's how do others perceive me? I just, I struggle with the idea that that was the emotion that was being being showed regardless of how close you are to that individual hmm. it's something i don't I know think, like, yeah i mean yeah i don't i i had that had never even like crossed my mind until like you had brought that up that i guess it just kind of that reaction just seemed natural to me because having in that scene like having like tommy made it was like they're saying that it was like having them made and i think that was like you know, they would they would kind of get like a step up on everybody having that connection to a made man. Like it would really change things for them, I think. And like it's kind of like a power grab. And 
I think it's something that just came unexpected to that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I guess I don't really have any more than that. Cause I, th- that thought never even really crossed my mind. Like, but I don't know. Like I would, scene, I would maybe like, like push back or challenge the idea of like, that's unaccepted. Like he had been in the area for a while and like, I recognize he's a hothead and he's had like he has his like idiosyncrasies, but like like over time you'd think that like as you continue to like they talk a lot about respect and they talk a lot about like earning your keep and they talk a lot about like being able to like kind of show that I would suspect that over time like his expectation is that at some point he's doing this and he's showing the respect and he's he's you know, uh, pushing it forward because he expects that at some point he's going to be made. Do you really think he didn't, or does like? Do you think like that? Think that Tommy was going to be made, or yeah? I don't know. If I'm in, if I'm that... in that business and I think like we're doing this because we are like we're taking care of our elders and we're being respectful and like. I'm making you sandwiches and I'm doing these runs. It's because I think that in 20 to 30, 40 years time, I'm going to be a made man. And that's going to be me. If I don't have that image, then why am I doing it? Why, why, why would, why would anybody do that? If that's not the idea is that over time you'd become that person. Well, and maybe to play devil's advocate, maybe that is why he does break down because since he's not a hundred percent Sicilian, he himself can never be made. So that's the closest he's ever going to get is Tommy getting made, um, which, I mean, just. But adds- he, but he not being one hundred percent Sicilian is Ray Liotta's character. Is that they're both? They're uh, both. Are they Irish? Yeah, Irish? Okay, so neither of them could. Which is, and, and they talk about that a little bit in like yeah. that like scene. Yeah, which- right before the he takes the call. Right. And like that's like that's a perspective that I didn't think about, and I think is like. That makes way more sense to me. But still, I think I struggle with the idea of, like, the outward projection of, like, I'm going to be vulnerable. And I think, like, in, in, in a world of what they do, that vulnerability, I think, is completely sub- subversive. I think it is a thing that happens with two people there in a small room and it's your wife and whomever and i think like i just i don't think that's the way that is projected out and i think that's what i struggle with is i don't know that that happens in that moment i think he feels that and i think most people especially if you're going to be a good gangster are able to disconnect that and show that later or feel those feelings later but part of me thinks though like throughout this movie like so like jimmy conway tommy and henry they're kind of becoming unhinged and they're not like they're not living by that code because they start to do things they start to go behind the backs of the people that they are giving tribute to mm-hmm. um like uh you know was it like is it paul cicero yeah like, paulie yeah. paulie yeah like they're doing things like he said like don't get involved in that then like they're doing like like Henry's doing like his Pitts, Pittsburgh connection and like then he gets like Jimmy Conway involved and like they're doing all the stuff behind his back and it's like I feel like I think it all happens too like after the the Lufthansa heist after that like that's when like things really start to fall apart for these characters in this movie like Tommy's gone 
um, Jimmy Conway gets to the point where he's just like doesn't want fucking anything to do with like you know like Henry. He's like that one part. He's like bringing him like silencer for guns, and he's just like, "All right, uh, these don't fit, but get out of here. Stay off that shit." Like, totally wants to be disconnected from all this. And like Henry Hill, like he's like off like doing things on his own, and like it, which eventually leads to like him getting. Hmm. Um, That's really interesting because like, yeah. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like the thing that I took from that scene of like when he was like I bought these guns, and he didn't want anything like he didn't want them. Like I was taking that to be uh, more of a narrative around like how like strung out Ray Liotta's character was like, because like he like tried putting the silencers on and all of that and they didn't fit, mm-hmm. and I led that to like that led me to believe like he's doing. Like, he's getting this stuff from, like, his Pittsburgh people, and he's talking about, like, his his girlfriend that he goes to to do and, like, create the, the drugs or whatever. But, like, I took that as, like, a narrative of, like, his paranoia. You know, during that same scene, it constantly walked through, like, the, the helicopter and, like, him. Like, it just seemed like he was on his shit as well. And, like, I looked at it as, like, um, is De Niro's character is being like more of like the competent insane one of like what get off that shit because you're clearly insane and like you bought these guns that like you're buying these parts that don't fit and they don't make sense and and so get off what you're doing and like start like coming back to the group because we need who you were um, and maybe it's like because he answers the door in like a robe yeah, or something yeah. like. But, but, <laughs> but, like, but also like, did you like? It, I don't know if you saw the timestamps, but the timestamps were at like six thirty a.m. Like he, like I took that also like because he woke oh, up yeah, at like yeah, four forty yeah, yeah. or like four yeah. or maybe five o'clock, and I took it as like he's, he's been, been up all night, out, yeah. fucking strung out yeah. on drugs. And he's like, oh, you know, yeah. now's the time, and I need to go over there. And, so and when you're strung out, you just have absolutely no. Yeah, like, so he's like, he's, he's going over there at a right, time that point. is like completely like so early based on what's the normal for them and i i took this that being is like what are you doing right it's in an attempt to lay this out and hopefully not reach intellectually past what i can explain it's um so you got the old italian gangster world that they've built run primarily by sicilians that they brought from italy to the united states and i feel that like jimmy and henry like, that's the American story. You know, you have this old community involved where everybody wins. And then when it becomes more American, when capitalism starts to creep in and these guys start to reach higher for more for themselves, that's when it starts to fall apart. And that is when you have to, you know, get all the drugs, and kill everybody else to make sure you're the only guy on top. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're still doing that now. We're still trying to get all the money and everyone's doing all the drugs you know in the united states right now so i i don't know that's one thing that again i didn't realize until this rewatch that's very cool about this movie and kind of adds to i guess keeps it more relevant um or i guess as relevant as it was when it came out in the 90s referencing a gangster from the 70s the scene where they have to go back and dig up Billy Bats's body, like anything to do with like the whole Billy Bats thing, is mm-hmm. is pretty good. The spider she- scene where Spider gets shot, um, scene where K- uh, Karen wakes Henry up with the gun, 
and then his face is pretty intense scene and just like the whole prison life like they go but they're still getting like food brought in and like they have like this right and just eating like these great meals they're having like red wine white wine they're making their own pasta sauce but well that one's disorienting too because they say they're in prison and you think like as the narrator you don't trust them for a second you're like i'm expecting them to be in their apartment or house or whatever and they're just living kind of like their normal lives their space is just confined a little bit more right but it just kind of brings in like all the corruption too. Do and, they like, ever it's paid off? And I'm just thinking about this now. But do they ever outline what the the drugs is that uh, Ray Liotta's character is getting in brought in? Like that he's taking. So like though like during that scene, like he I think it's all like cocaine because like there there's really? lots of scenes of where they're like cutting it too. Yeah, 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 but like they—that's always a white powder. This was pill form, which led me to believe like maybe it was something for anxiety or maybe something for depression. But because it, it also felt oh, like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it also seemed like he was like ashamed of it, right? Like because he got it brought in and he grabbed some when they were like getting ready to eat, and then he went and hide it, like hid it immediately, yeah, yeah, yeah. which led me to believe like there was like some shame that was associated with it, which I thought was like he was being medicated for some sort of like depression, anxiety, something like that. Well, doesn't the doctor give him a Valium when he's? Yeah, but that was but that was after that because that was yeah. after he's out and he's like seeing the airplane and he's like going to pick up his brother in the wheelchair and like yeah. Later, Polly like makes a comment to him like uh, he's like now that you're out. Don't be doing that shit. He's like, you had to do whatever you had to do while you're in, but now that you're out, it needs to stop. I wonder if that's what he was referencing, because I don't, I don't remember. So what do you what think they... that would be, though? Like, what is he referencing then? Like, what's the, like, wh- like what I, is I that, assume then? that he was referencing the drugs, but I don't know, like, right? What, but like, what he like, was taking, like, okay, because like that's the thing that I'm most intrigued by is like he gets these things, and the way that I I saw it is that it was they were bringing they were being brought in by his wife because there's then the scene like with her bringing like the salami and like that kind of stuff fucking throwing it out when she's feeling angry because she saw that his mistress his guma had come you know so i'm just i'm curious what those pills were supposed to be and like what well, I don't think it's a stretch to. I think I mean antidepressants are a safe guess, given you know what the Sopranos took from Goodfellas. I mean that's like Tony's biggest secret throughout most of the show is that right. he's going to therapy. So it just happens to be with the same woman, right? Like, <laughs> right. That to me blew me away. Yeah. But all right, I've been speaking quite a bit on my favorite scenes. Um, do you wanna? Yeah. Give some um, highlights. Give some highlights. Yeah, we kind of talked about Billy Bats, but I think my, it's hard to pick. I mean, they all run into each other, too, so it's kind of hard to isolate one scene. And I love a lot of them. But one going through this time that I really enjoyed is right after they think they kill Billy and they're going to Tommy's mom's house to get a shovel. And then they just get sidetracked because they wake up Tommy's mom. And, of course, she's got to, you know, get him in and feed him dinner. And it's just... They really quick. How many times uh, have you, like, maybe, like, growing up, have had this experience of maybe, like, been out with, like, a friend and, like, go back to, like, their parents' house or your parents' house and, like, trying to be sneaky and then, like, end up waking, like, their parents and, like, trying to deal with, like, this conversation. Yeah. Not having a dead body in the trunk, but just reminding me of, like, times of, like, just being super shit-faced and, like, yeah. coming back a friend of mine and 
we'd go back there and eat like bowls of like Captain Crunch. <laughs> like my friend was just like eating cereal and just being a loudmouth, and all of a sudden, like I saw his dad just kind of like his shadow kind of show up, <laughs> appear like right behind him. Like, oh, but, this is yeah. one of my favorite experiences. <laughs> is that I was like at my parents' house my dad's house and we were eating hanging out we were playing like whatever and my dad comes out like in his underwear which are just like wonderful tidy whiteies he's like what the what's like, going but on not here tight just still yeah like loose. what's <laughs> happening and he's just like it is me and a girl and like him in his tidy whiteies and i was like that's perfect what more can you ask for? right <laughs> what more can you ask for um. Yeah, I, I can definitely relate. <laughs> yeah, I think we all can. Yeah. Well, all that's right. part of what makes it so great, too, is even if yeah, even if you don't have a dead guy in the trunk, that being interrupted in the middle of where you're going. And I, you know, I don't have Italian family, but just what I've heard and what I've gathered along the way is that seems um, pretty representative of, you know, an Italian mom feeding her son and his friends and making sure, you know, everyone's got a good meal yeah. and gets to where they need to be. And just her inability to recognize Tommy for the monster that he is is just always makes me laugh too. But I, like I'm curious about that too because I think about like the scene like right before he's made too, right? Like right before like he's got his suit on, like she's congratulating him. Like clearly she has like some idea of what's going on, like the importance of like him being made, and like the importance of what's going on. It, but it seems like it's like that selective hearing, that selective of like, what am I like willing to accept versus not accept? And like that to me is really a unique thing. Yeah, it's the it's the complicated like Carmela Soprano thing, too, yeah. where she knows what Tony does. But just, you know, if, if she pretends like it's not happening, then she can morally be OK with the lifestyle mm-hmm. they have. That kind of thing. You know, that it's was like, uh, where where did you get all that money? Oh, they were a pool shark. They used to go down to Chicago and play pool all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I felt like that was one of the things that like was really that's unique. an actual story that was shared with me. Was that like put it really? above <laughs> put it above the light? <laughs> I think like that was one of the the things that I I really enjoyed about this movie was at the beginning with the relationship between Ray Liotta's character and and his like wife was like she recognizes what's going on and then she finds her way. Like the way that she justifies it, and I thought that was really unique. I feel like I'd never heard like people like talk about it in that way or like justify it in the way that she did, and I thought that was really unique. Even with like the the Sopranos, I think like that's a really prominent story. Like I think a lot of people have watched the Sopranos. I think I've never heard Carmela talk about it outwardly in the way that like the her character did in the narrative right like she was she was narrating it like talking about like her first experiences with the character and like you know i know where this comes from but i like i the way that i've justified it and i thought that was really a really cool way of doing it in something that i'd never really heard before you beat me to the punch i was going to bring that up too the the fact when Lorraine Bracco starts narrating with Ray Liotta, it catches you off guard because I, you know, and again, I can't think of another film that does that. We have the narrator, you know, voice of God and that's it. But yeah, this is a marriage. There's two people here. And I think it, 
it's really plays to the strengths of the movie that they bring her in and do that. It's a cool mm-hmm. trick and it catches you mm-hmm. off guard. Yeah, I think like it also makes sense. Like the way yeah. that she articulates her approve not maybe not approval, but like the way that she articulates like why it's okay or her whatever is like really unique and it's different in it like you're you end up it makes ends up making sense. And I remember talking about the Sopranos with a friend of mine when like it was first kind of being aired and we were first watching it and like talking about like this is the first like bad person that like you can be like Tony has no other option but to do this and I get it and it makes sense and like like you are cheering for the bad person but because you're like he had no other option and I think it was really unique to see that for a movie this is my first time ever watching the movie and I I will articulate that you know I hadn't seen this before. I'd seen the Sopranos previously, but for this being my first time watching it and like to see that like conversation internally and that monologue and that like discussion to me was huge of how do we, how do I personally approve of or allow this behavior? What does it look like for me? That was really cool. (laughs) For me, Uh, some of the uh, the scenes that I really liked, I will I will throw out there that I think for me one of the areas that I enjoyed the most about this film was the beginning. Like I loved the monologue at the beginning where he talks about you know being a gangster and how they were able to run his neighborhood and how how he really appreciated that and 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 came to that. And honestly, I just I loved the first ten to fifteen minutes of him as a young kid and teenager, and I just I loved everything about that. I loved, I loved seeing the the story of him like coming to prominence and him coming to like where he's at and like being able to work with Paulie and like my mom loved the fact that I worked across the street until she knew what it meant. Like that to me was really really cool so i love the very first couple of scenes i thought that was really really unique and fun i also was gonna say i loved the scene uh of them like taking care of the body and then like going to like tony's mom house or tommy's mom's house and like having to like sit there and be like no the blood is from a, a deer like hitting a deer and, and like nice. just so like I cut off the hood yeah I, I, I cut off the hood nobody nobody could keep the hood like I just, that's a like, sin every part of that like i just thought was really really funny and i enjoyed it and i thought it was really cool so i Which love he has the painting Oh, <laughs> like, hey, it looks like somebody we know <laughs> yeah yeah without the beard yeah you're right yep i love that i also like so I come from like thinking of Pesci as like the wet bandits. Yeah, from the wet bandit of <laughs> of you know the Home Alone. Home Alone. And so for me to see Pesci in this was really really cool and really unique, especially like the first scene with him kind of like taking the piss and like you know, what am I a clown to you? I thought like that was really unique. Like not only am I seeing Pesci with hair, <laughs> I'm seeing him with the attitude, something I've never seen before. And like that just to me was a, a really unique experience because not only like that was his his character throughout the entire movie. Like he's a hothead. So like he's like he's being joking and jovial there. But then you think about like the scene where they're in the bar and the guy is kind of, you know, busting balls or taking the piss, whatever you want to call it. And they end up killing him like 
to see Pesci in that in that state and in that character is really unique to me, knowing kind of like what I've seen him in before, right? Like my cousin Vinny, like those things, like there's just, it's not the same in any means. Like they're just a little different. So that was really fun. I enjoyed that, that scene a lot and, and enjoyed him in his, the scenes that he was in playing that character. I would say like those were my biggest ones. I really, really enjoyed like the early, like first 15, like 10 to 15 minutes that, that to me was some of the most enjoyable stuff. A hundred percent. Well, and what's funny too is Home Alone came out the same year that Goodfellas was released. So if you were someone who watched Goodfellas and then watched Home Alone, you probably thought Kevin McAllister was going to die. Like, <laughs> for real. Yeah. It makes so much sense. That hair piece looked terrible. Oh, yeah. It was he clearly didn't not go to Maury's. Yeah. <laughs> I love the more. He's like advertisements. So do like, I. Oh, it's so jump, good. He has like it the cut jumping in the pool. Yeah. Oh my God. I love fake commercials within <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I forgot to mention too, like, um, I love how this movie ends. Like when he's, it's like the court scene and he's like pointing everything out. Then there's that moment where he breaks the fourth wall and he's talking to you, just kind of laying everything out. Like, how he just like has everything. He could just have it whenever he wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. And now that that's all over, he's just going to be a sh- another schnook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the, the, it cuts from that to like his like uh, looks like they're in some newly built development, and then he mm-hmm. comes out mm-hmm. in his robe and he picks up the paper and he's just like got like this shitty look on his face. And he goes mm-hmm. back inside and like uh, uh, the Sid Vicious. Yeah. song kicks yeah. in you know then it ends with like tommy like mm-hmm. shooting at the screen but i just like i kind of like that breaking the fourth wall i really like i think for me i appreciated more or what i enjoyed was like the idea of like like his like he's staying in character with that too like in the regards of talking about like we know we're going into witness protection but he's like we're not going anywhere cold like you need to put us somewhere warm and you're like there's like a little back and forth between he and in some of the police officers or fbi agents of like like, dude, you have no you have no choice over where you're yeah. going. No, 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 no. We're gonna go somewhere yeah. warm. And I'm just thinking, like, right. what a fucking asshole! Right. Like this dude, the well, but entire that's, movie. Like, yeah, but that's like that's, that's his character, that's, right? right. He's like, I love that. Yeah. I love that. He's like, no, 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 no. We're gonna go right. somewhere warm. We're gonna go. It's whatever, warm. whatever it takes. Yeah. So we're not, yeah. I don't. <laughs> What do you say? It's uh, bronchial or whatever. Bronchial. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, I thought that was really funny. I enjoyed that. No, I like that too, Chad, because he revisits this theme. It's Scorsese does in Wolf of Wall Street. If, yeah, yeah. If you yeah, remember right. when yeah. Jordan Belfort and I, Kyle Chandler, the investigator, I can't remember yeah. his name, but when he's you know, riding the subway like a schmuck, even yep. though yeah. he's Mr. Law and did the right thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you're still you know, not marching through wall street with a band and a bunch of money so mm-hmm. is it better i don't know that's the question i also feel like a lot of scorsese doesn't like end with like the normal happy ending right like i think of the departed where like they comes back and the dude like ends up like killing uh damon's character right like you think the bad guy wins and they kind of come back but like still at the end of the day it's like it's not a feel good kind of an ending and i think of the same way with like this like i don't think this is a feel-good ending or wolf of wall street is a feel-good ending and i or even talking about i mean people or a lot of these characters are like it's really about trying to get to the top 
mm-hmm. then if you're not going to get to the top, it's just about staying ahead at like all means necessary. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's like enemy of my enemy is my friend. And like, yeah, you don't got to outrun the bear, just the slowest guy. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Which I like that. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, like, yeah. I think those kind of yeah. like, those are, are my kind of films. Like the idea of people who talk about like, I can't watch seven because it's just like, it's not a happy ending or like, I love how seven ended. Like that is like one of my favorite endings period. I think I love the idea that he was able to finish what he set forth. Like there's no better ending in that, in my opinion to that movie. I look at that like similarly to what, what Scorsese does. Like they're not happy endings, but I think they are like really like unique and cool endings and, and endings that like, I don't think that could have ended differently that I would have been happy with. Right. Do you think Hugo gets whacked at the end of Hugo? <laughs> Just wondering. I've never seen it. Is that a Scorsese movie? Yeah, for sure. Oh. Super strange. Is that about yeah. clocks? Yeah, it's like yeah, probably a kid's like movie. A, like a French... Uh, Maybe it's like a scene that goes dark then. Yeah. You don't actually see it, but you can interpret that's what yeah. happens. Adults, adults can pick up on it, not kids. Yeah, the clock ticks to midnight and then... Fades to black. Just, yeah, dark. Yeah. The yeah. end. All right, let's do a box office breakdown. All right, here we go. So, Goodfellas was made on a budget of $25 million, which I think by Scorsese standards was a lot of money. Um, he did a lot of indie stuff, lower budget. And it only made, unfortunately for them, $46.8 million at the box office, which is kind of hard to believe now based on how beloved it is in the film community um so the highest grossing films of 1990 to give some more perspective uh leading the list was ghost with 505 million dollars number two is home alone three pretty woman four dances with wolves the eventual best picture winner for that year five total recall six is back to the future part three seven is die hard two Eight, Presumed Innocent. Nine, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And ten is Kindergarten Cop. Yes, Kindergarten Cop. That's two Schwarzeneggers in the top ten. Total Recall and so what did I Kindergarten see this Cop. year? Da, 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 da. I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the theater that year. Go, Ninja! Go, Ninja! <laughs> oh, no, wrong one. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, this is this is kind of funny because I feel like this... What was number one? Ghost. Interesting. Yeah. I, this, just growing up as a kid of the 90s, like if you took this movie year and put it in like my parents' VHS collection or like my aunt and uncle's VHS collection, yeah. you know, like these movies were everywhere. Yeah. Like Blockbuster, like even if I never saw them, like I, I must have seen the cover the for prevalent. Ghost. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Same with Pretty Woman. And I mean, my dad is a big Dances with Wolves fan, so I've seen that handful of times but yeah anything else even if i never saw you it, had I was the very two vhs copy right the yeah two VHS. the two vhs <laughs> yeah. well i think of like i don't know about you but like the first time i saw dances with wolves was in like high school like it was like a middle school high school like yeah we're watching there. it like that's that's the first time i ever saw it and i remember like watching it in like multiple sections because we were doing it like you know class by class Yep. I similarly for me, I don't know if we watched it in school, but it was kind of around that age yeah. when yeah, first saw it. And this was another funny thing I was thinking about and 
it's just only semi-related. I was with Home Alone. I was thinking about my favorite movies of all time, and Home Bushwhacked. Alone is definitely up there. Bushwhacked, <laughs> another Daniel Stern classic. <laughs> but no, like you guys, I I I can't think. I think Home Alone might be the movie I've seen more than any other movie. The more I thought about it, you know, I thought it was one of my favorites, like maybe Big Lebowski or something. But if I considered that I watched Home Alone every damn Christmas. near every Christmas, that's well, it wouldn't be thirty Christmases, but it'd probably be like 20, well, you probably 24. see it a couple times every Christmas, right? Too, it's on all the time. Yeah, and occasionally in July. So that was right. my that's, like. <laughs> for me, that's Christmas Vacation. Like my yeah, family loved too. Christmas Vacation. So like, as a kid, we would watch that every year, and then my wife, her family would watch it every Christmas. So like, we have com- continued a tradition that every Christmas we watch. Christmas vacation at least once. Yeah. So I would say like that is our like our tradition. I would say like that's been one of my movies I've seen the most. Mm-hmm. It yeah, I didn't think it would be a Christmas movie, yeah. but it's probably Home Alone. That's crazy. I would say like I arguably I watch uh Goodwill Hunting twice a year for sure. Just like anal retentive, no reason to just obsessed. Favorite movie? Hands down. What's yours, Chad? What, do you, what, do, what movie have you seen the most? Probably one of the Star Wars original trilogy movies. <laughs> <laughs> Probably seen Empire and Return of the Jedi. Hundreds of times. Wait, no, no, no. Hun- well, listen, okay, so hundreds. we got, we got, like, our, not even a hundred. We got, no, listen, listen, listen to, listen to this. Past. We got All our right. VCR probably in 88. Yeah. I'm guessing. And my dad did the Columbia home video, like, 10 VHS tapes for a penny. Yes. For a penny. Yeah. So, so that started with VHS tapes and then it moved on to, like, Columbia, Columbia Clearing House for CDs. Start with cassette tapes. Cassette tapes, yeah. VHS, and then CDs. Yeah, damn, they were they were ahead of their time. Yeah, but yeah, I think because uh, we'll Return of the Jedi. And we had Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, but my nav- my dad didn't get Star Wars, so I watched Empire and Return a lot. Did probably you, almost every day. Did you see those before you saw New Hope? No. Okay. No. No. Just wanted to just wanted hmm. to be sure. No, but. Yeah, yeah. That collection was uh, the first round of VHS tapes we ever owned. Were uh, RoboCop, nice. Police Academy Four. Uh, what's the Cool Hand Luke? Day the Earth Stood Still. Whoopi Goldberg's Burglar. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought you were about to say Sister Act. Oh, this was years before Sister oh, Act. Oh, bummer. Sorry. My mom did buy that years yeah. later. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. <laughs> Empire, Return of the Jedi. And I think that was it. Yeah. Robocop was another movie I saw a lot, though. But yeah, most movies, yeah, probably Return or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm more into like the fantasy, sci fi yeah. thing. So I'm less about um, intelligent dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because you just brain blasted me. So. Goodfellas was in Ed McManus's original syllabus of DVDs for our household. So, yeah, I remember it was Goodfellas, Cool Hand Luke, 
Day the Earth Stood Still, Blade Runner, and Gladiator, the other film we just reviewed. So, <laughs> good job by you, Dad. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Cool Hand Luke, is that James Dean? No, it's... um Newman? Yes. Paul Newman? Paul Newman. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That's my a movie parents, I've been wanting to go back and watch. My parents like didn't get care about movies at all, so it's like, yeah, you know, it was all like all of like all of my movies have happened like as I've grown up and been like kind of like found it like I found Clerks and then I found like Reservoir Dogs and I found other people that were excited by Tarantino and like, yeah, unfortunately it didn't have the same. That's got to be kind of cool though to curate it yourself though. Yeah, but like it's the same with like I wish like ah oh, my parents enjoyed like music right like yeah similarly it's like my parents I didn't grow up in a house with a lot of records so it's like yeah it's nice to curate your own but it's also like man I wish I had an appreciation for like what like I think there's a a, a longing for for more and a, an appreciation that I didn't get unfortunately. Sure. <laughs> 